unfortunately, I did end up losing my mom um, in my early 20s to cancer. That was a twist in my story, continuing to make me the full version of myself. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Disrupting Balance episode. I am so glad you're joining in, whether it's Monday, air day, or it's some other time. I absolutely appreciate you and thank you so much for tuning in. Today's guest, I'll give you those details in just a minute. You don't want to miss it. Before I jump into that, I want to talk about the Big Myth Campaign. Many of you via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, or my website, you found the link, you clicked, and you took three minutes to share your big myths. All of you were entered into the giveaway, and today I am announcing the very first winner. She hails from Houston, Texas. What an honor to have someone enter who's all the way in Houston. I'm way up here in New Jersey, so I'm glad that I have listeners down there and supporters down there. I really appreciate it. And she shares... One huge myth for women is that you can't be happy alone, that the only way to be fulfilled is by marriage and children. I spent way too long thinking that I was flawed, but marriage and children aren't for everyone. I wish we could stop teaching our girls that it is all about becoming a mother. Thank you so much, Amy from Houston, Texas. You can also find Amy at YMA Princess on Instagram. We shall be in touch. And for others of you, it's not too late. If you've already entered, there's still a chance for you to win. And if you haven't entered yet, find out how you can enter by just going to www.disruptingbalance.com slash big dash myth, B-I-G dash M-Y-T-H. Click the link, take your three minutes, fill in, share your myth, and you're automatically entered to win. We have one more giveaway to go that will be announced later on in season two of the podcast. Elise Beckles is a marketing communications professional and founder of the French Tutor Incorporated. She has a passion for educating and serving others. In this episode, she shares her journey to dispelling myths around womanhood after the loss of her mother to cancer in her early 20s. She also talks about relinquishing the weight of invisible expectations, her journey to entrepreneurship, and how Canadian views on racism have taken a turn since the killing of George Floyd. So hello, Elise. I'm so glad to have you in the Disrupting Balance guest chair today. How are you? I'm doing well, Hanif. I'm super excited and thrilled to meet with you and chat with you. I'm glad you're here. So we're going to jump right in with the first big question, and that is, what is your story? I was actually born in Trinidad, 
And my family decided to immigrate to Toronto, Canada when I was just three years old. So really and truly, most people around me call me Canadian because they're like, I'm really Trinidadian, although I'm super connected to my roots, but did all of my schooling here, have most of my network and connections here. And an interesting fact is when we first moved here, a friend of my dad's actually recommended that he put my brother and I in the French immersion program. So kind of a strange concept off the bat since my family, my parents specifically, do not speak French. And they took a chance. They put my brother and I in French immersion. I actually ended up liking it, continued through high school all the way to doing one of my degrees in French mm. at university. And who would have thought it actually ended up birthing my own startup tutoring company with the main teachable being French. So all these steps leading to the journey, grew up in a super traditional household. Uh, my mom did stay home for most of our lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really, really value that looking back. Um, value the time that she poured into my brother and I. And unfortunately, I did end up losing my mom um, mm -hmm. in my early 20s to cancer. And that was a twist in my story, but one that has definitely contributed to making me or continuing to make me the full version of myself. So let's take a step back and talk about your response based on the order in which you mentioned. You talk about this immersion in French, even though your parents didn't speak French, yes. they put you into this program, which ended up planting a seed that grew uh, a love and a passion for you to you, where you ultimately grow your own business. So tell me, what was it about French that really you know, inspired you to keep pushing and studying it and ultimately create a business? To be honest, French in Canada, it is our second official language here. So it isn't, you know, something that is pushed under the rug. It is something that people are encouraged to learn, even have a basic speaking and um, written understanding of. So it was considered quite an asset. At the same time, you'd be surprised how many people do not either pursue French, so they get into the program, and it isn't always the best experience, because it is very challenging. But for me, I think French really opened up my mind, firstly, to culture. Growing up, it was eye-opening that my teachers came from all over the world. I had teachers from Africa. I had teachers who came from Quebec, which is a province here in Canada that their first language is French. I had teachers from France and, you know, it was eye-opening. And I think in a weird way that also inspired my love for travel because within a language, there was such diversity and culture and history in that. And yeah, I, I got good grades too, right? So that helped. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's where it started. So just being exposed to the diversity and who my teachers were and how they taught and understanding the different types of French as different parts of the world would do different pronunciations of certain things mm -hmm. um, really just kept and held my interest and led to it being a passion. And so when you were coming home and 
you know, excited about French, who did you practice with? Or did you just have a friend? I mean, what did you do? (laughs) Well, it did help that my brother was also in French immersion Mm. program. I'm sure there were times where my parents may have been like, was this the best idea? Because we would exchange, you know, little secrets, little um, comments in French that, of course, our parents couldn't understand. So that was really my practice buddy, um, for lack of better term, and otherwise having friends, right? So what's cool about a lot of the children in French immersion is that most families don't speak French. So we were all kind of in the same boat. So you would call friends for homework. Um, If there were study groups at school, making sure if I didn't understand something that I attended those and yeah, putting myself in the best position with the different resources. But a lot of it was really just each other, my fellow classmates. And so let's talk about immigration and coming to a new place at three years old. Of course, at three, maybe you don't remember or recall those experiences, but as you grew older, did you feel a difference or a separation from either one of your communities, the Canadian community or your home community? And if you did, what was that like? I must say I did not feel a separation. I think what is unique about my childhood is that I lived, while we lived in Canada, our household was extremely authentically Trinidadian. So Mm. we ate Trinidadian foods and um, we went to different local Trinidadian events. And, you know, my, my brother and I would also ask for clarification if there was a certain term or um, saying that our parents or family members would say so that we could be connected And more so in our adulthood, we made sure that we visited Trinidad very often. It is such an amazing place, such a diverse place as well. And I I guess I'm very connected and attracted to diversity. Mm -hmm. It was very common for people, especially to come to Canada, Toronto specifically, from different islands. So it was almost a celebratory conversation that we could have more often than not where are you from you know what's your background that's pretty common Mm -hmm. here in Toronto Mm -hmm. so that I think helped me to preserve that Trinidadian side while living in Canada because the diversity that's something that's really celebrated let's bring up something else you mentioned in in your initial response to what is your story and that Mm -hmm. was the loss of your mother. You described it as being a twist in your story. Tell me what you mean by that. It was really something I don't know if anyone can prepare for. Um, I am grateful to have had my mom for all of my childhood, but I would have never thought I would not have her for the entry into womanhood, right? Mm. The twist was more so my mom was a little bit vocal. I want to call her silent partner, but she was a vocal partner in a lot Mm -hmm. of my successes and a lot of my ambitions. Um, While she was playing a traditional role of being a stay-at-home mom and being an awesome wife, she really was the one who drove my ambitions. Very simple story, but... Uh, here in uh, Toronto at 16, 
you can get your G1 license. So that's kind of your learner's permit, I think they say um, elsewhere. And I was chilling. I really didn't need to have my license. You know, my brother drove. I had other friends that drove. But for some weird reason, she was like, no, you will learn to drive now. And I was like, okay. And for her, you know, on the back end, that was me gaining that step in independence. Shortly after getting my license, you know, I had access to a vehicle and I could move and, you know, carry myself places without having that um, dependence on a parent or a friend or brother. Um, She also was the one who really encouraged and pushed for me to get my master's. I was Mm -hmm. good after my double major. I did two degrees in four years. I was done, right? And she's like, Mm. oh, we should go go for the master's. I'm like, we? (laughs) Really? (laughs) But I did go for my master's and completed my master's. Unfortunately, she didn't live to see me complete it. But I knew in my heart that that um, accomplishment was for her and because of her. And I honor her every day just in how I decide on certain things. I know that she would empower me to go for it. That's the twist in my story. But the lady behind that twist, like, was, I just, I live to honor her. I'll just say that. So let's talk about some of the myths around womanhood. Yeah. When we spoke earlier, you did speak to some of those myths kind of sitting in this idea of womanhood and it it ties to your mother. What were some of your myths around it, around being a woman? Some of the myths that I was exposed to was, I would say primarily that being a woman meant doing things in a particular order. Like Mm -hmm. there were steps to womanhood and there was this invisible guide. I don't know what rule book um, it came out of. Um, One of them just being able to accomplish certain goals. I was really challenged by a couple people, not inside my family, but outside when I purchased my first home. So Mm -hmm. I think in a traditional space, people are like, oh, like, wouldn't you be married and, you know, have a family before you purchase your first home? But I just felt that was a goal at that time in my life that I was ready to accomplish. Um, Some people think womanhood means having to subscribe to certain ideals. And I just don't think I've followed that path but I'm happy about it. One of the biggest concerns growing up, and as a young girl, I can say I experienced this and I can see other young girls growing up experience it too, is this weight that we carry around to be something, but we're not quite sure who told us. Like it's, wow. it's an invisible weight and it's it's limiting in a way. So I think it's important for people like myself a lot of my peers and people I hang out with and have come to be very close to, it's important to show the unconventional or what is considered unconventional so that those growing up, maybe not being within a certain mold, can still feel that there's space for them. 
That is powerful. I've never heard it termed in that way, the invisible weight mm-hmm. of these expectations and how it limits us. That That is very powerful because that's exactly what it is. Because like you said, you try to think back and recollect where did you get this idea from? Yeah. And you're not always sure because when you look at your mom, who's a strong woman and pushing you, you're like, well, it wasn't her. Where does it come from? Right, right. You know? And so you spend part of your life trying to dissect that and peel it away. So tell me about your friend dynamics, because you say, you mentioned talking to friends, I believe, and trying to convey this idea about these invisible weights. Yeah. How? What is the dynamic for you in friendships? And do you find that you tend to be the person that everyone leans on? Yes. So... I definitely would say, firstly, that I have a very awesome group of friends. So my benefit of having come to Canada at age three, I grew up in a very faith-based household and had a really great church community, which we ended up attending starting at three, when I was three years old. I would have to say the majority of my friendships are comprised of people I've known since I was three years old. And I mean, it's deep friendships that I truly, truly value. And a lot of them are women, so blessed with really strong female friendships, which I'm grateful for. Mm -hmm. In terms of my role in my friendships, I do, I've come to be very, very aware that I am the go-to for Mm -hmm. quite a few people. I think what contributes to that mainly is... I'm a good listener. I try to operate from an unbiased perspective. So there's been times where, you know, even my friends who may be in relationships may come to me thinking that I'll side with them, but I help them see their partner's Mm -hmm. point of view as well, which isn't always the intention or what they would have sought from me. But I'm here for people to open their minds in being that go-to It can sometimes be a little bit exhausting because I don't offer my time or my ability to listen or to work through a situation with a friend half-heartedly, like I'm really, really Mm -hmm. invested. It can get exhausting. It really can. But at the same time, I've realized just from interacting with others and aiming to be a lot more self-aware I'm aware that I have a bigger capacity than a lot of people to kind of handle it all, but I do have to learn to measure that a little bit better because it can get, it can really just drain you. Mm -hmm. So I'm working, I'm still working through that even today. Who do you rely on then to help you carry the weight, right? So Mm. you have great friends and they really rely on you, but who do you rely on? So I mentioned earlier that I, you know, grew up in a pretty faith-based family and community and I do believe in God and Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time in prayer. I will sometimes write prayers down. I will just sit in a moment and do a exercise where I may say a prayer and then do an act of listening just to really guide my thought and 
even lead me to have better conversations with people. So even when I do engage um, with someone or I am that go-to in that moment, I want to be some of value. You know what I mean? I don't just want to be saying things. I want it to be led from a deeper place. So that is how I try to exercise that. Um, otherwise, I do have some great people around me. My brother and I are actually quite close and I can bounce ideas off of him as often as I need to. And then I have a few older, what I would call big brother, big sister type mm-hmm. um, individuals that if I ever really need to unleash, I probably need to do that a lot more. But I do have a few people I can lean on in times of need. I want to go back to raise a point to kind of connect another point. You spoke earlier about, you know, these myths around womanhood and how you're supposed to do these things in a certain order. And when you bought your house, people were looking at you like, wait a minute, you did that in the wrong order. (laughs) So let's talk about entrepreneurship because the French tutor is not your first time at the rodeo with entrepreneurship. That's right. So what was that experience around when you decided you wanted to be an entrepreneur and you started to act on that? Were there myths around that for yourself based on what people were saying or based on what you thought? Let's talk about your road to entrepreneurship. So entrepreneurship, it is an interesting journey. It actually isn't one that I think I mapped out in my in my goals or in my plans, it literally my journey led to the French tutor starting. So as I mentioned, I did grow up speaking French. I did my degree in French. And what I was noticing was that quite a few people would ask me kind of ad hoc to help their children with a particular assignment or help them understand a certain unit they were working on. And it became something that I was doing part-time during university as an unofficial job, right? I was helping. uh, Parents would compensate me for it. And I think my light bulb moment was me realizing, wow, I'm actually really enjoying this. And Mm. I knew I really enjoyed it because it was something that I would do for free. Like Mm. I knew that Elise, your passion is something you would do for free and I would teach French for free if I could. Mm-hmm. So that journey led to requests being more than Elise, the one person could handle. And I started to think, wow, you know, there are tutoring companies that have a certain model, which my company came to align with a little bit, mm-hmm. agency type model. I said, what if I decided to start my own thing? Right. But this was all inward talk, not saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. And I think it was maybe in 2014 where I had a conversation with someone and that pushed me right into it. It was almost that conversation that said, how could you not be doing this? And that got me going. I did a business plan. I, you know, got all my ducks in a row, or my ducks in a row for then, and then ended up launching in late 2015. And it was a small agency style, you know, just a handful of people, um, just to get things off the ground. And I myself 
mm-hmm. kept tutoring in the meantime. But from 2015 to now, there has been such growth. We are a full-on tutoring agency, not just offering French. We mm-hmm. teach other subjects as well. And it's just been a great journey. It's a beautiful experience. Entrepreneurship is not easy. It mm-hmm. is way more than a nine to five <laughs> for those who are confused or thinking about it. But when it's with something or about something that you love and that you're passionate about, and in my case, my passion is serving people. And if I can serve a child and someone who is in need of help in an education capacity, that brings me great joy. Yeah. So how did you, the passion is, I think, the source to push forward and continue in the journey. But what about the other pieces, right? The operations, the administration, (laughs) the financing, how did that all come together for you? What were the resources you used? What did it look like when you were just like, this is crazy. What was I thinking? Let's talk about that side of it. Yes. So it is, well, it was a one-man show for a very long time, Uh very, very long time. And I juggled, right? So I do work full-time and continue to work full-time. And building a company from the ground up is a lot of work, especially when it comes to servicing clients and their parents mainly who Mm. always want to have a quick phone call. I've, I've even been in positions where I've had to speak to teachers just because, you know, maybe it's a language barrier and the teacher is French and, okay, speak to the tutor and tell them what you need. Mm. So it was a one-man show and juggling for a while. I did a couple years into the business start um, seeing the value in investing in someone to handle my marketing because I understood that, you know, we can be the best tutoring company ever. And if no one knows about it, it's just not going to work. So ended up hiring someone for marketing. And in recent times, I've brought on someone to handle the admin side of things. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of moving parts, especially now during COVID. Thankfully, our company was fully equipped. Um, We are digitized. We do have a virtual classroom. So we were prepared for COVID before COVID. And I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of moving parts, like I said, on the back end to make this, this success. So did it come out like you thought, or did it come out, you know, a little different than you thought? (laughs) (laughs) I would say it came out better than I thought. Great. I really, to be honest, I did not see it growing the way it has grown. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting the dreams that we dream, right? We think, wow, I have dreamt the dream and the dream then one day doesn't fit Mm. in the dream box. It is now bigger than the dream box. And I think that's where the French tutor is. It it has exploded in terms of what I could have imagined. We tutor not only children, we tutor adults. We have a program in some of our local daycares who have reached out, you know, asking, Hey, can we just have an instructor come in a couple times a week and teach our babies French? Like that is, I would have Mm. never mapped out 
that sort of um, that sort of reality. So it's been pretty awesome. I feel blessed that people are seeing the value. I think when parents do connect to me and when organizations do reach out, they do see that what I care about really is not about like the financials behind it. Yes, that is a plus. That is the bonus. But it really is about my whole mantra of no child being left behind. I don't want anyone to ever not be able to get the help or not be able to access tutoring because of a price. It's been very fruitful for me. With your strong desire to excel, which is what I hear. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just take five years. Do you see yourself wanting even more? Because as you coined it, you said the dream is now bigger than the dream box. Mm -hmm. So do you see yourself continuing to overflow in that dream box? Or do you see yourself reining it in to redirect, you know, yourself to do other things? I see myself continuing to excel. Mm. I think what I've learned, because I think I'm learning more, actually, the balance of managing a company and managing life and managing full-time work is really about using the resources around you and bringing in help when necessary. I think obviously the burnout occurs when you try to take it on all yourself. Mm -hmm. But the way to excel is really to bring others along for the ride. And that is what I'm learning and what has contributed to my success. Mm -hmm. And I'm really big on my success is not just for me. I have a nephew now. I have godchildren. I have a father, aunts, uncles, you know, great friends. And I want to do well so that I can be a blessing to them, right? I don't want this to be Elisa's success. I feel like when I win, everyone else around me wins. So I have the energy. I know I have the capacity. Mm-hmm. So next five years, I'm, I still got it in me. So I, I do <laughs> see myself um, <laughs> still excelling just with proper balance and proper use um, of people around me to help me get there. So with that in mind, then what do you do or what do you plan on doing to help yourself unplug and unwind? Because I can imagine working a full-time job, (laughs) having a, a secondary business that is thriving, your schedule must be quite impacted. So what do you do to unwind or what do you plan to do in the future to unwind even more? What are your tools? So for me, travel is a big one. That I think is my biggest escape mechanism. I love to travel. I love to travel to new places. And that's where I really do intentional unplugging. Mm. I'm not that person who cares if there is Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi means emails and emails means I will probably be working. So I am pretty intentional about unplugging when I travel. I also make it a priority to work out uh, a couple times a week. I'm a part of a sort of all women's black owned fitness group. Mm -hmm. Um, It is mainly boot camp styles, but it is really a fantastic just way for me to unwind and really release stress and also maintain health, which is 
a key part of me continuing to excel is being healthy and being well overall. Finally, I would say I like to have fun. You know, I do enjoy having friends over and hosting people and having a girl's night or having great discussion and healthy debates with friends. And there's moments for that. And I make time for that just because I know when I work, I work. So when it is time to unwind and have a little play, I am fully committed to doing that as well. So this particular question we didn't discuss because at the time that we spoke, these events hadn't transpired. So I wanted to find out about the culture uh, where you are around the events that happened in Minneapolis with the killing of George Floyd and the Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter movement and what that temperament is or the pulse is in your town and where you live? Sure. So I will be very transparent and say that I actually didn't expect the George Floyd occurrence to affect me the way it did. Hmm. I say that because George Floyd is not a new story, let's say. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's a story that we've heard Mm -hmm. many times And I've, you know, had discussions on occurrences like those and George Floyd, that had me awake. I could not sleep. I literally wake up at 4, 4.30 in the morning on the days following and literally just be awake feeling Mm -hmm. disturbed. Mm -hmm. So I had to dig a little deeper and understand what is this? Why does this feel different? And I think what's great about my community, meaning my friendship circle, we have a very open theme amongst us. So there were many Zoom calls, especially Mm. right now, um, where we discussed it. And for me, it was important to hear how my male friends understood it, because I have to say as a Black female, I know my experience while being Black still differs from my Black male friends, my Black male brother, cousins, father, right? Mm -hmm. So I really use that time on calls like those to understand their perspective and their experiences. And that was valuable. I learned a lot. You know, I don't think I've ever asked any of my friends, hey, have you ever, ever experienced profiling or racism? And what was that like? We haven't had those conversations. And I think what became more evident through the George Floyd story is that people had a misconception, Canadians specifically, that racism doesn't happen in Canada. And Hmm. we're hearing those narratives in the media and people really were upset about it. And I was as well. And, you know, some great journalists in our city started releasing some wonderful articles about stories that never hit the news. And those are the ones we got to pay attention to, right? Like it's great to see what the media is showing us, but what are you not showing us? And we saw that even with Ahmad's story yeah, that happened since February, right? And we would not have known because it's not on the news. Canada has a great reputation while it is a wonderful place in Toronto specifically to live we had to do some introspection as to what's happening here what does happen here yeah um i was able to have some candid conversations with colleagues who admittedly had not they didn't have the right words to say they've never 
had to have this kind of conversation because we live in a bubble or we Mm -hmm. lived in a bubble. Mm -hmm. So even having to have those uncomfortable conversations was a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I have friends who are not Black who have reached out to me. And for the first time, we're talking about race. Even some of my best friends um, Mm -hmm. called me in tears just saying, hey, I had to do some inward searching and see what some of my biases may have been. And that is a step in the right direction, right? So it's been, I think for the first time, something really, it's uncomfortable. I'm not gonna (laughs) coin it any other way. It is uncomfortable, but it's necessary. And I think it's louder. I think our, our message than ever before that this injustice has got to stop. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And I concur with your sentiment about the fact that this time it just seemed different. Mm-hmm. And the weight of it yeah. was just so present. What do you love about yourself and why? I love the fact that I am able to adapt and pivot regardless of the situation. I am a firm believer that while we can't choose our circumstances, we are responsible for how we handle them and how we thrive in them. I'm pretty big on we are responsible for the energy that we bring into the room and very committed to bringing the best energy, to shifting the energy in a positive way, wherever I'm able to be present. My name is Elise Beckles, and I am disrupting balance by unapologetically becoming the full version of myself. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.